Thanks for joining us. My name is Walter. I'm the teaching and small groups minister here at our church. And this is our first sermon in 2023. We're starting a new series today, and we are uh, also accompanying that with a new Bible reading plan. So I hope that you've joined us with that. If you have not yet, you can join us using the Bible app, search for South Lansing Christian Church, make us your campus, and then our featured plan is on there. It's, uh, it's one chapter a day of the Gospels from now through the end of March. Now, I know for some of you, one chapter a day doesn't sound like a whole lot. And so if you're that kind of person who reads a lot of Scripture, then by all means, read that one chapter a day with your church so that you know and you can stay in connection and conversation with us, and then also do your regular Bible reading. And then for some of us, myself included from time to time, one chapter a day consistently for 90 days, that's quite an accomplishment. And so I would encourage you to to come along with us, to read along with us, because when you've done so, whether you're in this camp or in this camp, at the end of 90 days, you'll have done something significant, and that's you'll have read through the entire four Gospels about Jesus Christ, and you'll be in the conversation with us. You'll know the story about Jesus. So join us. There's also a couple videos in there every week, one to two videos that help you process and understand Scripture better. And so, yeah, I hope that you'll, you'll sign up and, and read along with us, read with your small group, with your family. Now, like I said, first sermon in 2023 and a new series, and I know it's New Year's resolution time for you all, and you're you're in it, and you're working hard, and you're trying to keep going, but our new series is called Give Up. Give Up, yes. And, uh, and I've been in this exact situation uh, once or twice. Frank Weller was in this week. He told me this is called the yard sale. This is when, you know, you, you, you fall down and all your stuff is all over the hill. So yeah, we're, we're eight days into 2023, and I'm already considering giving up my New Year's resolution to eat more healthy, to limit my intake of foods that are bad for me. Around here, around our church, I'm known as the goat, and that's not the greatest of all time at all. I'm known as the goat as in like the wild animal, the goat that eats things. And so if there is leftovers day tune in the fridge from like at least 10 days ago, it's still probably good in my book and I'm going to eat it. If there's salad in there that's just got a little brown on it, but it's not slimy yet, that's still fair game, and so I will consume that food. And so that makes it difficult for me because I, when, when there's food around me, I consume it. I, it just it exists in my mind, and I, I eat it, and, and I come back to it throughout the day. And so what that means is that throughout the year, my clothes fit sometimes better than other times, but I'm way too cheap to buy new clothing, and so I resolved and call it a resolution, don't call it a diet, I resolved to eat better in 2023 so that I will, uh, yeah, so I'll be healthier. Don't call it a diet. I'm resolved, and I've made this resolution except for when I'm not, and so there are still goodies in our house from December, and I walk by them, and they call my name, and like Wally said, there was a memorial here this week, and there's still some leftover food from that, and it's good food, and I ate some of that, and it's difficult to me. I'm not sure if sticking with this new food plan is going to work out for me, and when I think about my life, I realize there are a lot of times in which I give up on something too soon, too quickly. Sometimes giving up just feels so right. Why is it so hard for us to stick with our commitments? You know, experts tell us that it takes somewhere between 25 and 66 and 254 days, it's quite a range, to to start a new habit and to have it solidify in our lives. 
But all it takes is one or two missed instances for you to fall down and have to rebuild that habit again. I'm a, a kind of all or nothing kind of person and, and, you know, don't break the chain and all that. And so uh, I haven't worked out in a while, like a couple years a while. But when I did, it was like all in, right? So, oh yeah, I haven't really run or worked out or exercised at all, but I'm going to run every day in July. And so in, I don't know, it was like 2018, I ran every day in July, and then I got to August, and I missed a day, and I thought, I can recover from this. And I ran a couple more days, and then it was before August 7 that that plan was gone, and I didn't run again. It is so easy for me to give up. And when it comes to life, you're probably there too. We're good at giving up on things that are beneficial for us. Well, at the same time, we're not all that good at giving up things that we really should give up. Here's what I mean by that. A new habit you've made, going to bed earlier in 2023 so you get more rest, or uh, maybe not spending so much, on t- so much time on TV and, and reading more. It seems like we continually have to restart those kinds of behaviors because at some point, the alarm went off, and the sun hasn't come up yet because it stopped coming up in November, and you decided to not get out of bed. Some evening you decided that another episode of Andor was more compelling than that book that you planned to read. You gave up on that goal. But at the same time, there are things that we just can't quite give up. There are things that are detrimental to our life. And so maybe for you, eating out so much, it's unhealthy and it's expensive. Or maybe it's going out with friends on a a Friday night and you know you'll make poor choices there. Maybe it's spending so much time on social media, Instagram, TikTok. It doesn't make you feel good about your life. We all have things in our lives that we need to give up, but isn't it just the case that we just so often hold on tighter? I know I should give up that, the sugar. I should eat less sugar, but just one more chocolate bar. They're so good. I know I should probably not watch this TV show anymore. It's not healthy for me, but man, the plot is compelling And I just one more episode. I just got to know what happens with the characters. And so, if you're like me, you find yourself often in this paradox, this exhausting paradox of not giving up what you should, but giving up on the things that you really need to keep going on. The good news about that is, is God knows us. He created us. He knows that through the power of Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit living in us, that we can be better versions of ourselves than we ever thought, only through his power. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. We're looking at specific times when Jesus called people to follow him and they had to give something up. And so today's story is in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. That's where we'll be today. So if you want to turn there while we talk about this for a minute, the Gospels, as we're reading them over the next few months, are are four different pictures of, of Jesus' life. Jesus' life told from four different vantage points. Luke spends a lot of time talking about the birth narrative, and and so we spend a lot of time in Luke in December. Mark doesn't mention any of that stuff. John, for his part, he, he gets really theological very quickly, and it's dense stuff. And Matthew spends some time ramping up into the Jesus story and and examining his genealogy and, and kind of his, his early days before his ministry. And the thing is, sometimes Christians are, are threatened or feel anxious about the, the variations in the Gospels. And and I want to, want to tell you, it's not something to be concerned about at all. And so as you read along with your, our, our church one chapter a day, I want you to pay attention to the things that are maybe a little different. Ask yourself, 
Why did Matthew feel that this story was so important that he highlighted it in his account? Or why, why did John feel like this teaching was so significant that he included it in his account? Maybe consider memorizing a couple of those verses. Again, the variations between the Gospels, they're not something to be afraid of. Instead, they help us see the Jesus story from four different perspectives. Kind of like if you and a friend watch the same TV show and you're talking about it later on and they mention something and you think, I don't remember that part of the story at all. It's the same way with the Gospels. Each of them are like that. Each Gospel author set out to write their account and to help us know Jesus from their limited perspective. And then God used these limited perspectives to give us his inspired scripture. And we're better off because the picture that we have of Jesus is more complete, more nuanced, and helps us better understand who our God is. So, again, Matthew chapter 4, if you'll join me there, verse 18. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Okay, right off the bat, Jesus is walking along this, this lake, inland lake, called the Sea of Galilee. It was, it was surrounded by some low mountains, and you see a lot of Jesus' ministry kind of play out in this area, at least initially. This is where miracles like walking on water and, uh, you know, the calming of the storm. This is where things like Jesus' teaching the Sermon on the Mount probably happened. And it's here where he went to, to call his first followers. And and so he does that. He shows up and he sees these two fishermen, Peter and Andrew. And verse 19 says this, Jesus called out to them, come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Okay, does this story sound strange to anyone else here? Jesus sees these two guys fishing on the shoreline. He says, follow me, and at once they obey and they follow him. I mean, what do you think was going on in these guys' head at this time? Did they they just want an out from their day-to-day jobs? Were they irresponsible lackeys who couldn't stick with anything? What what was happening here? You know, we read passages like this, and, and we just plow through them in our daily scripture reading, check that, that uh, box in the reading plan. And, and I think sometimes we miss the scandal or the wonder or, or just the curiosity of what's happening in the Jesus story. But if you really think about it, can you imagine something like this happening today? Jesus would be considered a charlatan, and the people who chose to leave everything and follow him, man, we'd all feel bad for them. All those poor, misguided souls, what are they doing When this all comes crashing down around them, we're going to have to help them pick up the pieces. And not only does it sound strange to us, but for for the Jewish people in Jesus' day, in a culture in which the students picked the rabbi, the disciples picked the teacher, and not the other way around, this would have been just just earth-shaking. It was completely improper and not the way things were done. It's like if a university came to you and said, you have to apply and come to my school, not the other way around where you apply to the university that you want to join. And then all that aside, just think about how strange this must have seemed to Peter and Andrew's families. I mean, can, can you think about Peter, for, for instance? Peter, by this point, the Gospels tell us he was married, and eventually you see Peter's mother-in-law sick in his house, and so he had a house. Imagine Peter coming home and saying, all right, dear, I know we're just scraping by on my fishing job, and 
It's hard to keep a roof over our heads. But I met this guy. His name is Jesus. You probably haven't heard of him. But I've got a good feeling about him, and I think we'll be okay. So I left my job, and I'm just going to follow this teacher. Or Peter's mother-in-law. Think about the, think about the conversation. How, how do you think that, that went? So you're telling me, Peter, that you left a perfectly good job, steady income, good hours, and, and, and a way to support my daughter, and you're going to follow this guy that nobody's ever heard of, some rabbi with no students? What, what's the deal here? How are you going to support my daughter? For that, that matter, when are you going to give me some grandkids? And how are you going to support them? Just imagine those conversations. Those things are, are never comfortable. But to be one of the disciples who chose to give up everything at once and follow Jesus, they had to be difficult. For that matter, what do you think Peter and Andrew heard Jesus calling them to? I mean, Jesus says, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Well, that's a nice turn of phrase for some fishermen, but what exactly does it communicate? Do you think these guys understood the full scope of what Jesus was calling them to do? Because I'm not so sure. Jesus left out the, the whole religious leaders will oppose you. Jesus left out the, the crucifixion and the sense of abandonment these guys were going to experience. He left out the, the beatings and imprisonments that they would undergo as they worked to spread his kingdom out in the world. That's the bad stuff. I, on the other hand, Jesus also left out the sense of wonder that these guys would feel at the transfiguration or, or when Jesus walked on water. and They left out the, the joy that they would experience at Jesus, uh, his resurrection, and, and the sense of purpose that they, they would feel as they were sent out as God's missionaries to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. I'm not sure that follow me and I will show you how to fish for people necessarily conveys all of that stuff. It's pretty succinct. But here in chapter 4, despite the strangeness of the call and despite the awkward situation that might have put them in for their families and even lacking all of these details, these men at once left their nets and followed Jesus. Verse 21 continues the story. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, and repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. And, and what did they do? They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Again, I want you to consider what, what these guys were leaving behind, what they were stepping out of. Now for Peter and Andrew, standing on the, the side of the Sea of Galilee, casting weighted nets into the water, it's understandable that maybe they wanted a difference. This was a job with long hours and hard, hard, hard work and low pay. And, and so it makes sense. Maybe they wanted something different and Jesus offered that to them. But take a look at, at, uh, at James and John. They were in a boat with their father mending nets. This sounds like it could have been more of a commercial fishing operation, maybe a family fishing operation. An operation with a clear future, with some family expectations, with the potential to catch many more fish and a much greater income. When Jesus called these guys to leave all this behind, they were giving up potentially significantly more. And yet that's, what exact, that's, that's exactly what happened. These, these guys, all four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, 
dropped their nets, and followed Jesus. And, and the language of Matthew 4 makes it pretty clear that they were leaving behind their old lives. You know, these guys might not have known everything that was coming ahead, that the phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a, it's a short summary. And so they didn't necessarily know everything to expect, but they certainly knew what they were giving up. The story of the calling of these four men, it, it's, it's incredible. It's one of those passages we blitz through again, but when you stop and you consider it more deeply, you see an episode when Jesus shows up and he, he called some people to give up some really big things. Occupation, stability, routine, income, a, a kind of clearly delineated future. And it leads me to, to this idea and I think from this story, I, I, I believe this, that Jesus calls his followers to give up their vocation. Jesus call, calls his followers to give up their, vo, their vo, ah, vocation. Now that word vocation, it's one that, you know, if you've thought of, think job or occupation, it's not a term that we use a whole lot, but Merriam-Webster defines vocation as this, a summons or strong inclination to a particular state or course of action. The Cambridge Dictionary says this about it, a type of work that you feel you are suited to doing and to which you should give all your time and your energy. Followers of Jesus give up their vocation. I believe that to be 100% true. Now, you might still be employed at the same place. You probably will still have the same coworkers, the same boss. But your purpose and the thing to which you devote your energy, your enthusiasm, your vitality is now building God's kingdom. And so every day that you go into work, you go in as a representative of Jesus, working to invite others into God's kingdom. And so when you begin a conversation with anyone, with a boss maybe, remind yourself that that, that boss is somebody created in the image of God and needs to know Jesus as well. And when you're assigned a project, especially a project that you don't want to do, Colossians 3.23 is this passage, this verse that talks about work, and it's one that I love and it's challenging to me. Remind yourself when you're facing some task at work that you really don't want to do that, that the Apostle Paul gives us these instructions. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. The master that you are serving is Christ. When you face conflict with your boss, with somebody over you at at work, go in as a representative of Jesus and remember that your master, your Lord, is Jesus Christ. That word Lord, we use that so often in Christian circles, and we just... It's kind of like a religious title, but that has some meaning. The one that you're working for, the ultimate authority in your life is Jesus Christ. And so when you become a Christian, your your occupation might be accountant for the state of Michigan, but your vocation is disciple of Jesus. Your occupation might be actuary for auto owners, but but your vocation is disciple of Jesus. Of Jesus. And the beauty of it is this that co workers can minister more effectively in their, co- in, the, in their workspaces 
than any missionary or minister ever could. Because imagine if I showed up or Wally showed up to your, your break room tomorrow and started preaching about God's grace and human sin and the judgment that's coming, but the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, your coworkers would be put off, you'd probably be uncomfortable, and we'd be ushered to the door. But if you go in as an employee and you look in your context for opportunities to bless others, God can use you in incredible ways. Maybe it's encouraging a coworker who's going through a difficult season. Maybe it's befriending someone that just needs a friend. Maybe it's simply you refusing to be drawn into the conflict that's happening among your coworkers. Maybe, and I know some of our people have done this, I've talked to them, maybe on a Sunday that you've been scheduled and you cannot get out of work, tuning into the live stream on your, on your lunch break. What a simple way to show others your priorities and to still connect with God's people even when you have no option of being here in person. Look, I don't know the, the specifics of your workplace and I don't know what your job entails necessarily, but I do know this followers of Jesus, we give up our vocation to him, our purpose, our vitality, our energy is now building God's kingdom. And God has specifically given you the opportunity in your workplace and has called you and prepared you for the conversations that you need to have with those around you. And you have an opportunity to make a difference for someone that could last for eternity when you introduce them to Jesus and to his church. And so don't miss this opportunity. Don't let it go by. When you recognize your vocation as disciple of Jesus, you're going to stick out a bit. You'll seem a little strange. Your family might question your decisions. Your coworkers might think you're off a little bit. But imagine how Peter and Andrew and James and John seemed to those who knew them best. You might not understand the full scope of what God is calling you to, just like these disciples didn't understand the full scope of what God was calling them to. You might not see where a conversation or an action performed in Jesus' name might lead, but you can take the next step. You might not know exactly what lies ahead, but you know what you can give up today. Because followers of Jesus give up our vocation to him and we are disciples of the king. Hey, as we move to to what's next, I want to talk to you who are not yet part of the family of God. If you've yet to come to Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, I I don't want to sugarcoat this. When you you do so, when you come to Jesus, he, he demands all of your allegiance. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, he gets to tell you what to do, and you obey. Just like these fishermen immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. When the Lord of your life, when your king tells you something, you obey. And it's, it's not always easy. It's not always fun. In fact, Jesus said things like, in this world you will have trouble. Well, friend, if you don't yet know Jesus, it's so worth it. To be part of God's family, to have a future and to have a hope and to have a restored relationship with your creator, I'd encourage you today as we, as we move to what's next to take a moment to respond 
to find one of our leaders around the room with a, a blue lanyard and, and talk to them, an elder, a staff member, and just ask them what it looks like for you to take that next step towards Jesus. That's for you who are not yet followers of Jesus. And for those of you who are the people of God, disciples of Jesus, brothers and sisters, I think that maybe we've forgotten who we're working for. I believe that Christians should be the best possible employees in their workplaces. We should be the ones who are known for being the most ethical, treating company property and, and, and time with respect, for making our bosses and our coworkers look good, for, for working with diligence because, again, we're working for the Lord and not for men. Followers of Jesus, you know, quiet quitting is something that was talked about a lot over the last year. Followers of Jesus should not be quiet quitting. Instead, our work ethic should be an example to those around us. Not because we're all that concerned with building our company or you know, helping somebody else become super rich or even raising our own status, but because we're disciples, we're representatives of Jesus. Our vocation is disciple of Jesus, and the quality of the work that we do reflects directly back on our King. So disciples of Jesus, would you join me in prayer this morning? God, we come to you today as your people. And Father, we're thankful for your story given to us in your scriptures. How that's been passed down from generation to generation of your people so that we can know the truth about Jesus. God, we're we're thankful for, for the moments in the Gospels in which Jesus calls people to follow them and from what we can learn from those instances. And, and today, Father, I pray that we would be your people as we, as we go from this place, that we would recognize that our ultimate purpose, our vocation, is to be disciples of Jesus. And that we would leave here and head out into our homes and our neighborhoods and our, our workplaces and that we would reach out intentionally in your name. Jesus, we're so thankful for your, your sacrifice for us you humbled yourself and that you laid down your life for us and and we're so thankful for the resurrection that gives us hope and helps us look forward to our own resurrections it's in your name jesus that we pray these things amen hey we have a chance right now to to respond to god this is what we do every week here we respond as we sing together we praise god worship him and we we also get a chance to share in the lord's cup the lord's supper together communion and it's a chance for us to to remind ourselves that jesus did lay down his life for you and for me and so that that juice that we we share together represents jesus blood spilled for us and that the bread represents his body that was broken for you and for me so that we can be right with god again not because we've made ourselves right but because Jesus sacrificed himself for us and so as we sing together we'd encourage you to worship god through song and worship God, through communion. Will you stand and join us in worship?